You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they show it. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? It is Wednesday night, which means another episode of the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino, and we are in the thick of what has become J.J. Watt Watch. Uh, insanity on, on social media. Every time that that dude uh, tweets, I feel like the entire world is, is waiting with uh, bated breath on what's going to happen. Uh, we're going to get into a lot of that tonight. We're going to get into a lot of Bill's off-season uh, topics. Uh, I, I'm going to throw a lot of things at the, at the boys tonight here. And it, it is a session of just hanging with the hanging with the guys. We're going to talk some Bill's football. We're going to talk some 716 cuisine. So I hope you brought your, your fire-hot takes when it comes to what are the, what are the best uh, eateries in, in Western New York. Marcel ha- has really come a long way in a very short time. Our adopted son. Yeah, I respect his opinion just as much as anybody else's, and it's pretty impressive. Marcel Louis-Jacques from ESPN, Nate Geary, uh, the host of the pre- and post-game show on WGR, uh, radio personality at WGR 55. I always call it 55. I don't know why that is. It's 550, right? Yeah, at least it's not W. At least you didn't say like WGRZ because that's that's what people say all the time. Like even my own friends be like, oh, yeah, Nate's on WGR. Well, that's TV. I'm not. I'm not on TV, but thank you for for letting you think that they would put this on TV. Marcel, has you have you had anything like new in the last week? Because I I mean everybody knows your staples now, and trust me, I know my wife knows because she's got me going over to uh, Taqueria <laughs> Los Miles every twice a week at this point. Uh, but anything new that's yeah, popped? Oh man, I have been really sticking my guns lately. I can't lie. Uh, Mexico City seven one six. That Mexico City's on my list. That that is that's up next. They got me with the burrito tacos, heart shape for Valentine's Day. Had no Valentine, so therefore could not justify getting the Valentine's Day platter. But hey, next year, everybody watching this, you know, I I need a Valentine. I need help. I can't do this by myself. For tacos sad. and tacos alone. For tacos and tacos alone, let's let's go ahead. I got the contract written up. We're gonna make sure the language is straight here. 
But uh, no, nah, man, nowhere near. Actually, just uh, getting new items from the same places. Just got that. Uh, I, I mean, what are we calling it? The Buffalo Meat Lovers joint from from Macy's Place today. The one with like hot dog and sausage and pepperoni and everything on it. Yeah, spectacular as usual, as usual. Uh, Ryan, we can actually hear you this week. So why don't you talk yeah. a little bit, just so we can just ex experience that great audio you got going on. Yeah, there. I'm happy the snowball mic is uh, working for me again. I'm not going to have too many fire takes with you guys on the on the food takes here. But if anyone wants to know any good restaurants in Olean, there's about two of them. So, you know, I'm here for you. Listen, you make plenty of little jaunts out to the 716. So uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on that as well. But let's get... Let's get into this football stuff here because I feel like we're just kind of, you know, the last couple of weeks we've all been kind of getting, wetting our appetites after a playoff run, uh, getting into kind of this offseason stuff. And I brought you two guys on more than anything because, uh, A, I respect you. B, you, you know, you have a lot of takes. And I, I think that that's sometimes on this podcast what we're, we're missing, a lot of fire hot takes. And I know Nate Geary especially will bring some ridiculousness that we can – uh, talk about tonight. That'll be fun. But let's start with JJ Watt because obviously over the last couple days um, since he was released on Friday, and I think most of us kind of were preparing for this. If you watched kind of how this thing has played out in Houston the last couple weeks, months, uh, you knew that this was kind of inevitable and 17.5 million is just insanity. You knew they were going to move on from that at this point with no dead cap hit. So I guess to start off with, I, I want to get into you know, how serious at this stage everybody feels about the legitimacy of the Bills maybe convincing him to come here? Uh, I, I think it's, it's very legitimate. As my, my co-worker, Kimberly Martin, reported earlier today, there's been contact. There is mutual interest. Um, the level of interest there is, tough gauge at this point. There's still a lot of time. There's still a lot of money to move to be moved around. So can't say that for sure yet, but the Bills are in the running. And it's interesting because Brandon B. did verbatim say to us in his end-of-season press conference, don't expect the splashy moves. Like, we're, on the, we're in the shallow end of the pool. We're not diving in off the 30-foot off the diving board this time around. Like, we're no splashy moves. But when a guy like J.J. Watt, at yeah, one of your, your, your biggest positional weaknesses becomes available, like, you can't help but kick the tires. And so I think that they're doing their due diligence right now. I would say the same thing. Uh, here's here's the interesting thing about J.J. Watt that I, I kind of keep talking about is he's such a unique player at a unique point in his career off of what I think is a really unique season for a guy who is off of multiple season-ending injuries. And I, I think you can look at the season-ending injuries in two ways. Have they slowed him down? I mean, I don't think so. Or have they probably taken 2,500 to 3,000 snaps off of J.J. Watt's current career, meaning does he have some more left in the tank? The guy played a thousand snaps last season, and there's no Bills defensive line on the that lineman on the roster that played that much. So if he could come in, if you could get J.J. Watt at the number, and I keep saying this basically about every guy the Bills have the ability to re-sign from their own roster or go out and potentially sign is I got a number for everybody. You, you could get J.J. Watt at 10 million at 9 million. Yeah. I'm, I'm all about J.J. Watt, but you want to start talking about 15, 16, something like 17 and a half, like, like, like that's being talked about in Cleveland? Like, no, no, thank you. So I, I think I, I got a number for everybody. And if you can find me in, in a comfortable spot for J.J. Watt, I think it's it, you have to do your due diligence 
And, and I think they're smart to do it. And I think they're legitimately in the running. I think they're going to be in the running for a lot of free agents in a year to be in the, in the need for one-year contracts, if that makes sense. No, mm -hmm. I, I think that makes perfect sense. There's going to be a lot of players that become available in these next few weeks, cap casualties, and like you said, signing those one-year deals. And, and Watt might be looking for a two-year deal, uh, but but you're right. It's going to come down to the amount of money that he's looking for, how much money he wants on the market, because if it does get into that $14, 15000000 million range, I think Brandon Bean will pretty much say we're out at that point. He He always has that set point when he goes to negotiate with players. He sticks to that. And at the same time, as appealing as Watt would be, uh, as great of a culture fit as he is, you don't want to be spending that much money on a player that's uh, on the wrong side of 30 when there's some other younger options out there that could be more appealing that could be had for that 8 to $10 million range that could be here long term. I was, um, you know, we've we watched the reports kind of come out since Friday and uh, Mary Kay Cabot had a big one yesterday that, you know, there was serious consideration in the Watt camp for, for Cleveland. And I, I go back and, and you see some of the numbers floated by, you know, various different people, uh, what this thing is going to kind of land at, uh, you know, spottrack.com, Mike Gennetti, uh, he, he, on his recent podcast said he's estimating around $12 million is what it's going to probably land on. Nate, you mentioned two years, 20 million. That kind of makes a lot of sense. I think I'm right there with you that that's kind of the range that you're looking at. But one of the cool things that I saw reported early on in Monday uh, in Peter King's column he said that from what he's hearing, there might be some flexibility in J.J. Watt's camp because of the fact that he does want to compete for a Super Bowl. And I think to get in there, you're going to have to figure this thing out in the right situation. And the money night might not be there everywhere. I mean, if you want to go to Tampa Bay this year, you know, to compete for a Super Bowl, you know, you're probably not going to get top dollar. I mean, we've already seen like guys like Mike Evans come out and say, hey, if you need some extra money, take it because I want to keep winning. So I think all around here, there's real buy. And I think at this stage, one of the other things that I thought popped about Kimberly's report today is that we're at this stage and the bills being a serious contender, which I think we all kind of thought they should be, but that they should be. And that they are sometimes in the past have been different conversations. And I think that that goes to show that the success that they've had this year is real. And that, that the effects of that are kind of pertinating or, or percolating around the league. Right. I think I'll if say... you can get them for like a, I think if you can get him for like a Mario Addison type deal, like we saw last year, that three year around $30 million range, I'd be comfortable with that if I'm a Bills fan. Uh, it's something that, that's that's team control, that's easy to get out of like Addison's is and probably yep. will be uh, this offseason. I, I think that's right around that's right around the wheelhouse. But at the same time, like you see a lot of you, you're seeing a lot of, of fans chattering on on Twitter. Uh, you know, let's let's release this guy. Let's get off of there, get away from him, and get away from him. You got to remember that this defensive line was already so retooled last year. I'm not sure we're going to see that much different of an offseason than what, what there was in 2020. So I, I don't know if you want to do too much tinkering, too much, you know, retooling too many additions and subtractions. But uh, you got to remember, in order to afford a guy like J.J. Watt, you're going to have to let go. You're going to have to clear out some space. And a lot of that space, a lot of those clearable contracts are on the defensive line. I think uh, Matt's point about the timing of this is really the interesting part is we know that JJ Watt's going to have the opportunity to sign before the official free agency period starts. That's a huge advantage for him 
but it can also be a really big disadvantage for the team that ultimately signs J.J. Watt, especially if they're a team like Green Bay or a team like Buffalo that are contending teams with tight cap situations that might have better opportunities to sign one-year deals for younger guys that are looking to get to the 2022 offseason. And maybe you don't get those opportunities if you sign a J.J. Watt in March, um, especially early on or at the end of February here. So I, I think there's a lot of interesting ways you can kind of figure out what they do this offseason. But I'm going to tell you what, you can cut off a whole bunch of scenarios if the Bills go after J.J. Watt, even at a number that they like, like $10 million. Um, That's going to really limit them. I, I, to Brandon Bean's point, he wasn't probably planning on handing out $10 million a year to someone this offseason. To Marcel's point, this is a unique one. So if you get the opportunity, now you're talking about, do we sacrifice other positions? Are we going to sacrifice the potential short-term health of our um, or the long-term health of our salary cap, which we know in, in, in coming years are, are really good situations to try to win now. I think there's arguments to be made on both sides, but the good news is like Brandon Bean has set his cap situation up where if he wants to get risky, he can, and he can hedge his bets and, you know, less need can't hedge any more bets. Um, you know, and, and I think you're seeing the, the, the same ramifications in Atlanta and you're seeing them in New Orleans. The Bills aren't in that situation, but they could be if they get a little too risky with future cap situations. Yeah, going back to what you said about, uh, you know, signing a guy before free agency, look at last year what the Bills did with Josh Norman. I think that if you go and look at some what some of the cornerbacks signed for in free agency later on compared to what the Bills shelled out to him, they probably overpaid a little bit for his services. So you could end up overpaying when there could be someone that hits the market here come free agency or, again, one of these younger targets, a Carl Lawson, 32 quarterback hits, 25, 26 years old. Um, uh, Romeo Aquara, ten, uh, quietest 10-sack season of the year last year of all the, all these potential free agents, in my opinion. So there's younger guys that maybe you can actually have in that 8 to $10 million range that might end up being a better value deal – based on overspending now before free agency begins. I'm wondering too, like how much sense Watt specifically makes for the bills. And I bring that up only because there, there are going to be other options. And, you know, one of them kind of popped, you know, yesterday with, you know, when the Carolina Panthers released, come on short. And I know all of us are sitting here with the side eye, like, of course, the Carolina connection, it makes sense. Uh, but I think he's one guy that I feel like the that the dudes that really had success in that world, you know, under Sean McDermott in Carolina, those are the guys that I feel like this regime really kind of covets. I think it's the reason they did probably overpay for Josh Norman. But I guess like if you go out and get JJ Watt to your point, Nate, you kind of limit what you're able to do elsewhere. Even a a, a low money deal like Kwan Short might uh, command. I want to ask you, Marcel, you covered him when you were on the last year on, your, or, uh, on the beat in Carolina. What were your impressions of him? And I guess what would he add at 32 and how much more might that make sense targeting him than getting in maybe a bidding war? Not that they can even, but uh, for, for, for what? I think it's clear that, especially after last season, that Buffalo needs help on its interior defensive line. And I think Star Lulele's absence impacts that. And I think his return is going to help alleviate some of that. But if you can get a high quality player like Juan Short, they love, you know, they love veteran presence in the locker room. They know they love leadership. By all counts, KK Short is a leader in the locker room. He's an accomplished player. I know he's been battling injuries over the past couple of years, but the move 
more or less, it makes sense. And it, it falls into Brandon Beans. It, it kind of falls into his MO. Now, do I, would I rather have him? Would I, would I get rid of Vernon Butler and go sign Kawan Short? Probably not. Uh, would I get rid of Vincent or Quentin Jefferson and, and sign Kawan Short? I, I'm not sure you got to show me the numbers. I, I don't know if he's that much of an improvement over anybody on this uh, on, on this defensive line it just really all depends on it depends on the figure because if he's going to come in and command you know like like ryan was saying if he's going to come in and command a type of deal that like josh norman paid for if they're going to come in and overpay for kawan short then no you're making another you're making another mistake you're you're letting familiarity cloud your judgment here but if you can get him for a cheap deal after you clear out some of these you know maybe overpaid contracts off the current books then well, again, why not do something in the short that short term? Do something that's easy to get out of. He's probably going to be looking. You know, he's going to be looking for work. I, I don't know if if teams are going to be banging down his door after the, a couple injury riddled seasons back to back. But a veteran guy used to the scheme fills a need. Again, go kick the tires. I think he's a really interesting. You know, figure is he a really interesting like prospect that I think is someone that you can rely on maybe outside of a one-year a one-year deal probably not if you could figure out the the one-year deal scenario with him and maybe I think I like your point about the timing of a Quan short deal for me uh, the timing of a Quan short deal is at the end of the free agency process where maybe you know to your point he's struck out otherwhere or elsewhere and maybe you can get a Quan short at a two million dollar one-year deal three million dollar kind of deal then uh, that's something I'm willing to to consider for him but you know I, I kind of go back to the idea of with JJ Watt. And if you have to pay him 12 or 13 million, you know, but, and, and I look at it from this perspective and I, I know Brandon Bean will look at it from this light, but he may override the decision and say, having a JJ Watt might mean, uh, listen, I, I, I don't mean to be like corny about this, but I think they really missed Lorenzo Alexander's kind of just like overall presence, that really veteran leader. And I think JJ Watt comes in and is on the leadership council the day he walks into the into the building. He commands that type of attention. He's earned that kind of right, no matter where he goes, even if it's in you know in in, in Tampa Bay with Tom Brady. Like that's that's just the type of player that he is. But what if you could find a way to get Jadavian Clowney, Ryan Kerrigan, and Jason Verrett and have two starters and a rotational player and potentially a guy in Jadavian Clowney that you could get on a one-year deal and maybe he revives his entire career in value and makes bank in 2022, but you got one year of really great value. So like, if you look at it from that perspective, if you can spread that money over three players that maybe you're not going to have long-term interest in, but you don't really have long-term interest in JJ Watt either. This is what we're talking about guys is a luxury that, you know, I've being a fan of the team and then now covering, and I know Ryan and Matt and, Marcel, you're fairly new to the beat, but like this isn't a conversation we're typically talking about. The Bills in a window to load some interesting veteran contracts for a Super Bowl run, not like a uh, you know wild card run. Like, and so they're going to command attention from free agents that are looking to win um, and maybe value winning in a year where contracts might be tougher to come by. So it's just it's a really unique position at a unique time to be respected and the bills are respected. And that's like such a huge advantage for them to choose between an, a JJ Watt or multiple other good veteran options that feel like they could go to you and replenish their value on the market. That's a huge advantage for the bills. 
Wh- one thing in this, Ryan, I want to transition a little bit um, to one of the things that popped about this Watt conversation the last couple of days is like, you know, how he views a team based on the quarterback. And I, I texted a little message to the guys before, and I said, I didn't want to put him on the spot and make you rank them, you know, coming in here, but just, I mean, it's just conversation. We don't have to sit here and put up a power rankings, but you know, it got me thinking like, how is Baker Mayfield viewed in, in, in Cleveland? And, you know, I was listening to a podcast recently and um, I believe it's uh, Ryan Wilson from CBS really like his work. He's a really great draft dude. Uh, he's on the pick six podcast with, with Will Brinson. And I, I listened to it quite a bit. And he kind of said that, you know, coming off of the season, right or wrong, and I know Bills fans won't like this take, but that the shine on the Cleveland Browns might be a little bit brighter than the shine on the Buffalo Bills because of the way that they ended the season. Now, I disagree with that a little bit, um, but I it got me thinking, like, how is Baker Mayfield viewed? Because for me, Josh Allen is in this crazy tier with Patrick Mahomes and and Aaron Rodgers to a lesser degree, even at his advanced age. And then I think it's everybody else. And then you start tearing throughout, throughout that. But I, th- and I feel like Baker Mayfield's kind of down that list, but where does everybody else fall in that? Cause maybe, maybe I'm alone. Um, man, I mean, that, it, it just like, just like with food restaurants in town, it, it's easier to break things up into tears than it is. I yeah. think just outright ranking. So there's, mm-hmm. there's the, this guy ain't going nowhere tier. So that's that's Mahomes, and we're talking about young. I I, I think we're we're gonna limit this to, to young quarterbacks. That that's that's Mahomes, that's Josh Allen, that's Lamar Jackson, that's probably Kyler Murray in there. That's Joe yeah. Burrow, that's Justin Herbert. Those guys are I, I think bona fide. Nothing. Baker Mayfield I think is maybe in that next tier down where mm-hmm. I think you've got faith in them if you're if you're the Cleveland Browns. I think you you just got a coach who figured out how to extract the most out of them. I think you probably want to see it for another year. I I, I think that now that there's there's a year's worth of tape, uh, you know they're they're gonna get Odell back. They they're gonna well might get Odell back. Uh, I think you want to see it for I think you want to see it for another year, and then you feel really good about it. I think you pick this fifth year option up, um, and you let him play out year four, and, and then you make a real decision between year four and five. But I think guys like, I mean, obviously Mahomes already got his money. Uh, Josh Allen, I think is probably going to, if they can make the, the, the numbers line up, he's getting a mega deal. I, I would think this off season, uh, there, there's just that level. Deshaun Watson would be right up there if the Texans didn't just completely fumble that bag. And, uh, but, but I think Baker is probably that tier right below right below where the Browns say, okay, we can obviously, we can win with him. I don't know if he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but I think we can win games with him. We feel comfortable where we're at. Young Kirk Cousins, right? I mean, that's kind of what I feel about him. Like, I feel like he's just the younger Kirk Cousins, the kind of guy that I, here's, here's the ultimate decision that you pay or that you come to when you have a Kirk Cousins is man, why a teller, is going to make top dollar in, in, in one season as one of the league's best interior offensive linemen, right? After an unreal season this year, you're going to assume he has another great year next year, and then he's going to get paid top up. What if you move an all pro from the interior of that offensive line and Baker Mayfield starts getting more pressure from up the middle? I'm going to tell you what the stats say, not good things. So for me, he has the best offensive line in football. He's got the best run game in football. And those are two – and one of the the 
easily one of the most guarded quarterback systems in football where I look at Josh Allen and I talked about this on an earlier podcast. Josh Allen was indoctrinated in, in, in an air Perkins system. That's actually really not young quarterback friendly. And he literally got thrown into one of the most nuanced offensive systems in football. And in year three is thriving. Now you're talking about like the fourth different system that Baker Mayfield's on. And now he's in the one that protects him the most. Um, it's hard to judge Baker Mayfield and how they're going to pay him on his next contract. Cause if you, if he's going to get Josh Allen money, then you better, he better be able to overcome not being able to pay uh, all pro guard and one of their running backs. Right. I mean, that's going to be the situation. So it, it's a really, it's a conundrum for me. I like him, but I'm in no, in no way putting him in the same tier as guys like Lamar Jackson. I, I mean, no way. Um, just not right now. Yeah, com- completely agree with that. You know, I, I caught some flack about an article I wrote about McDermott deserving coach of the year uh, <sighs> over Kevin Stefanski. And going just to Baker Mayfield alone, I don't know if we've seen his play elevate since his rookie year. I think we, the best we've seen out of him was as a rookie. Now, last year, that was just disaster all the way around, or two years ago, I should say, uh, with that coaching staff, Freddie Kitchens, everything else that went there, nothing really worked. This year, he rebounded, but you mentioned it. The offensive line was really good. The running game is great. They leaned on the run early, and then they became more balanced as the year went on. But you, you look at the Browns' schedule. You look at how they got to the playoffs. Third, you know, obviously third in their own division. Pittsburgh was hot in the beginning of the year. Baltimore's Baltimore, but they had a really easy go of it this year. They mm-hmm. faced the NFC East. They and I know it was the COVID week where they had no wide receivers, but they lose to the Jets. They beat Jacksonville by two points. They didn't have a lot of, wow, really impressive wins. Tennessee, that was an impressive win. They almost gave it up late in the game. But you can go back to that season and say, I'm not sure that they are in that upper echelon where I think they're more realistically going to fall back next year when they face some more tougher competition. I think Baltimore's still going to be um, – I can't say they're going to win the division, but I think they're the favorites to win the division, in my personal opinion. I think that they're set up for more success I need to see it more for, from Baker Mayfield and this Browns offense before I can sit here and say they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Can you win with him? Yes. But if Watt is looking to win a ring in the next year or two, the Browns aren't in the same conversation as Buffalo. They're not in the same conversation as Green Bay. And I know we were talking about younger guys. They're not in the same situation, obviously, as Kansas City either. I think a really interesting question is who you'd rather take right now Joe Burrow, after knowing that he just had uh, his big knee surgery, or Baker Mayfield moving forward, who would you rather have of those two? Joe Joe Burrow, no doubt about it. Yeah, In my mind, higher, higher upside. Higher upside was doing more with a worse offensive line, was yeah. doing more with uh, probably a worse set of skill players as well outside of T. Higgins. Uh, oh, he does have Tyler Boyd. I mean, he had some decent receivers there, but he's running for his life most of the game, and I think yeah. he's got nowhere to go but up. I love that point that Ryan made. I think we saw Baker. We saw peak Baker right out the jump, right out. Mm-hmm. The jump. And there's, it's not saying that that's a bad thing because I mean, peak Baker is obviously a, a solid starter in the NFL. Not everybody's going to be a superstar. Like sometimes you just have a good starter. Like Matt Stafford has been a good starter his entire career, and he just got what, two, three first round picks. They're commodities like, too. Uh, they, yeah, they, they, those like, mediocre quarterbacks, they got feelings too. And hey, like they there's a purpose for them in the league. Like, and, and those are guys that you can walk into a situation like the Rams and potentially win a Super Bowl because you have the pieces around you. So there's, there's always a place. And listen, there's only room for five or six elite level quarterbacks in all the league. 
Um, and that's just that's just kind of how it works. And everyone else kind of has to slot in. And Baker just right now to me is not even it's not a conversation that he's in in, in with Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen or or Burrow or even Herbert, in my opinion. It's what a weird time it is, like after this season that we just had. Like I I don't even think Lamar's in Josh Allen's tier. Like I which is such a weird thing to say because he's coming off of MVP season in 2019. And I think he still is some version of that guy, but I don't think he's, I think Josh Allen's season that he had this year. I mean, it's, it really, you put it up against some of the great seasons of the last couple of years. I, I'd argue that it kind of puts him in that Mahomes tier. And I think, I think, but that's another conversation too, because there might not be anybody else in the Mahomes tier. Like I, I'm uncomfortable putting other dudes in the Mahomes tier. And I think that Josh is kind of like the closest, but again, to the Baker point, I think Josh, he's got some, some proving to do next year that this wasn't a one-year aberration as well. I want to talk more about quarterbacks, but I don't want to forget about this because you brought up Wyatt Teller. And I think it's a fun little conversation to have because there's been so many people that have like been banging the social media drum. Like, Oh, let's, let's talk about the one miss that Brandon Bean had. I've talked to people in Cleveland and Callahan offensive line coach there. Callahan has had such an impact on Wyatt Teller. This story that he's written in Cleveland, you, there's no possible way that you could say that that story would have been written similarly in Buffalo, especially with not nearly the same amount of opportunities to play. No, you know what else I hate about that conversation too is people saying, "Well, if if you, you, you now we're going to have like post traumatic uh, stress syndrome because now we can't do the same thing if you don't like Cody Ford and they can't move on from Cody Ford because you gave up on Wyatt Teller too soon and that might." make excuses for Cody Ford to be around who I have a lot of questions about myself. You know, well, first of all, Wyatt Teller was going to be cut. Like Wyatt Teller was not going to make the 53 man roster. So any pick they got from, like, it is what it is. Sometimes yeah. people bloom late. Like it, it, it happens. It happens all the time. I mean, shoot, George Boyer like, was not a, you know, he was not who he is right now when he was playing in, in Cleveland. He was not who he is right now when the Eagles traded him as a rookie, like it works both ways. Sometimes you're on the wrong end of the stick. Sometimes you hit it. So I, you know, I don't love the, I don't love that, that regret that, but um, they very much use that pick to go get Stefan Diggs. So like it, I don't know. I don't know what the problem is here. Like, it, yeah. you know, take, take your dub, take your dub and move on. Uh, be happy for Wyatt Teller. Uh, you know, hopefully, you know, he stays healthy. He earns the money that he deserves. And uh, I, I'm not, I'm not out on Cody Ford, though. I, I understand that. Like you, the guy has practiced at damn near every position on that o- on the offensive line outside of center. Literally every position on the offensive line outside of center. And he had the weirdest offseason in the world this this past offseason as he's being asked to transition from from right tackle to right guard to left guard. Like let's let this kid play at one position for a full offseason and season before we say. He's bad or not? Like people are so unnecessarily savage on this bird app. Yes, like, that's true. Gotta, that's gotta that is true. I, I don't mean I, I'm not going to be savage on Cody Ford. I guess the problem, the the unfortunate nature of being in a Super Bowl window is sometimes you lose the the ability and the flexibility to let a guy develop at an important position that you know you need to get better at. Do you know do you know what I mean? Like Cody Ford is could potentially be a product of they're in a Super Bowl window and buddy, we just don't have time to find out if 
you're the answer if we can upgrade quickly on a one-year deal or something. And that might stunt his development or push him down the line or whatever. But they also like Ike Butker a lot at left guard. And I think Cody Ford has to play left guard. I don't think he's a right guard. I don't think he's a right tackle. I think he's got to be at the left guard position, and he's going to have competition. Um, but me, I, I guess me, it's, it's just a tough spot to be in ultimately is, is my point with him. Let me add this in here because this is a really good conversation book. Cause I think the Cody Ford storyline going into the next training camp is going to be a massive one. And like you bring up like where there might've been misses. And I don't necessarily think this was a, a miss, but I think that this also shines a light on how important it is to have a plan for players. If you want to take the blueprint yeah. for having a plan for a guy, you take, Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, and the Bills drafting Josh Allen. They had a plan. They put the infrastructure around him, and they executed it perfectly. But you take a guy like Cody Ford, who you like, you trade up for, and but you go into it from the very start without a real clear plan for him. We like him at right tackle. We think he could be a right tackle, but we also like him at guard, and we know that there's some versatility. Sometimes you have to do that due diligence and know whether or not that's going to play into it. I would, I would venture to guess, without him ever saying this, there's a lot of ego in this sport. If, if you ar arrive in the NFL, you usually come with a lot of confidence. And I have a feeling that this sometimes can kind of play a factor with a guy's head. Like, okay, uh, maybe I'm not good at right tackle. How am I feeling every day going to practice at right guard, left guard, switching around back and forth? That, to me, I feel like he was really set up to fail in a lot of ways. But at the same time, if you're the Bills – I get why you did what yeah. you did with him and you thought he could do it. But I think now we're in a place where it's almost like, what do you do with him? You you right. have to find one spot and stick with him there. It's kind of like what happened in Carolina, Daryl Williams, two years ago before the Bills signed him to a one-year, what was it, $3.25 million deal? Uh, they moved he him does. to four different spots. Yeah, four different spots on the offensive line, and they said, well, this guy doesn't have it anymore. Well, it's that it's not that he didn't have it. It's that you moved him to four different spots, and he wasn't comfortable. You know, going all the way back to, to Teller, in the NFL, things come down to opportunity. Things come down to health. Things come down to scheme, system. You can look at 10 different players on this Bills team. John Brown, before he came to Buffalo, didn't get the right opportunities. He said, this is a speed guy. He gets to Buffalo hey, this guy can actually run a full route tree. He can actually do this. You, you look at a guy like Cody Ford, you're moving him around. He's not settled. He's not getting that maybe that opportunity that he needs in one set spot. Uh, we, we've talked about moving on from guys too quickly. They're in a tough spot right now, not just with Cody Ford, but with Dawson Knox, in my opinion. You drafted Dawson Knox for his skill set. He needs that time to mature. He needs that time to develop here in the NFL. And right now, this fan base is clamoring. Let's get, you know, let's not maybe not replace him, but let's bring in someone that we can start over him. He doesn't have it. He struggles. He came on in the second half of this season, whether or not fans want to admit it or not. Is he where they thought he would be? Probably not. But guys need certain opportunities. I'm okay with the Bills bringing in competition for Cody Ford, bring in competition for Dawson Knox, but don't stunt their development just because you're also trying to squeeze in the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, in, in this little window, because those guys can end up being contributors for that Super Bowl. I, uh, I, I completely agree. I do think, uh, and, and, and tight end is such, it's a hard position to learn. It's one of the hardest transitions to go from, from college to the NFL. And he was already underused at Ole Miss. He, he already wasn't properly taught the position at, at Ole Miss. So for him to have to transition and learn it and, and have to play kind of a critical role, they need, they want that tight end to be a critical role. You look at, uh, I mean, 
Brandon Bean's basically watching Travis Kelsey through hard eye, hard eye glasses. Like they want that badly. And uh, I think Dawson Knox has the skill set to to be something like that, especially after the catch. It's just a matter of can he stay healthy and can he, I mean, can he, can he catch it? And uh, you know his drop weight went down pretty significantly this season, uh, down from like twenty percent as a, as a rookie, which was, I mean, obviously problematic for a guy who's half your job is to catch the ball. But yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. Like that Super Bowl window, that little window I put up earlier, it shrinks very quickly. Yeah, like you can't say just because you made it this year that it's a given that you're going to make it next year. A lot of people are counting the Bills as okay, well they're going to be a they're going to be good for years to come. This is the next great long-term rivalry show me first like i gotta you gotta see it first i don't think they think that they they want that they believe that but they're not counting that as a granted they're not give, counting that as a given commodity there at one bill's drive so yeah it, it's hard to make decisions on how to when to develop guys and when to you know when to just find the best player available whether it's you know even if that means giving up on some of your draft picks Nate, you, I thought you wanted to say something. I was gonna, I was gonna move aside for the stash to kind of get his little. Oh, uh, oh well, yeah. I just, you know, I, sometimes the the stash is a little pushy, so I just want to make sure, you know. Um, no, but the the interesting part about Cody Ford and Dawson Knox are these are two players with really the year three is so important for players, and we saw that that the Bills relied on two guys in their year three, Tremaine Edmonds and Josh Allen. One ascended to the level that I think a lot of people thought Tremaine Edmonds was going to ascend to. Was Edmonds is going to be one of the best young linebackers, if not the best young linebacker in football. I don't think people necessarily thought Josh Allen was going to take that year three step. So there is a, a bunch of guys that are in that year two, year three window that if they take that developmental step, you know, we're not talking about issues on the offensive line because you have your whole left side shirt up if Cody Ford ends up taking that year three step. You have, you know, situations at tight end where, you know, you don't have to go out and sign Hunter Henry or Johnu Smith to a 10 million or a crazy contract because, you know, you have the, that development in your three steps. So, but the problem is, is you sort of have to bank on it and somehow still hedge your bet, right? Like you, you can't go into next season, not addressing the tight end position. They're going to address it somehow. It's just what type of asset are they going to spend? Is it a second, third round pick? Or is it, you know, do you want to add a developmental type player to position that, you know, as a lagging period and developing? So a lot of, listen, Brandon Bean's got I, I don't want to say that I don't envy his position because I'd love to be an NFL GM, but like, my man has a bunch of open spots on a, you know, on a bingo bingo board. And, you know, where he starts putting one is going to have a domino effect on where he goes with the others. You tweeted out, uh, you quote tweeted um, a tweet from Cardinals running back Chase Edmonds tonight. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it was interesting. It's a good jumping off point to the next thing I want to talk about. And it basically said this, this free agency going to be wild, going to be a lot of really good players taking one year rentals because that salary cap super teams type in my opinion we're going to see uh we're going to see though how that uh, plays out and you know one of the players that i think is in that kind of discussion for maybe a one-year deal in this environment for the bills is potentially matt milano but i feel like where that ends up landing kind of will dictate if that's even possible because right now as it stands right now, without them doing anything, and they're they're a, a million and a half over the salary cap if it lands at 181. 
So, or 180. There's some hope. I mean, I'm even hearing some rumblings that, you know, late in the game here, they're hoping that it it rises even more than that, which I think will be great for all parties involved. And I'm saying all parties involved, teams, fans. I mean, you know, this is kind of a super bummer that we're talking yeah. about, like, teams, like, trying to figure this all out. And, um, you know, for the for Bills fans specifically, I mean, you kind of had this earmarked as your go-for-it offseason. And now you got to kind of go into this, like – you, you know, you're, you're, you're headed to the, to the Nike outlet and last second, you got to shift gears and hit up pay less. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, this is terrible. So I want to get into Matt Milano because like, I feel like you might be able to convince him if you're the bills, this, and maybe I'm crazy here to maybe take somewhere in that eight to $10 million range for one year, because guys, I'm looking around at some of these top free agents. Listen, I understand that it's, it's media driven lists and you know nfl players and coverage linebackers are important i just don't see anybody really that you know is going to sit there and pay him 13 14 15 million a year in this uh in this economy. environment same, in this same. economy there it, is. there it is um I, I totally agree listen i matt milano fits the profile of of the type of player that gets grossly overpaid that you know, a guy that listen at at you have to always think of players from an asset perspective, and fans don't do that a lot. They view it as what has he done for me lately, and that is not how NFL teams think. They don't think what you're doing for them last season. They can't think that way. Otherwise, you end up in situations like in New England, like not really. I mean, they're notorious for not doing that, but in getting rid of guys before they before they fall off their cliff. My point is, you know, they just. This offseason, with Milano in particular, the only scenario he's a bill ever again is him taking a one-year deal. You're just not going to allocate 10%, 12% of your salary cap to the linebacker position. And understanding value and assets, you don't value a guy four years older than your middle linebacker, a position you would much rather pay than a Sam or Will linebacker. The middle linebacker is a more consequential position. He's got a better athletic profile, and he's four years younger. Um, like It's a no-brainer. It's, it's, it's not a personal thing against Matt Milano. He's a damn good player and he's going to go likely get grossly overpaid and he deserves that. But at the same time, the bills aren't going to be the team that does that. And, and it's because of where they have to allocate the assets for that position. You don't pay the linebacker position 12, 13, 14% of your cap. You just don't do that. in an economy that is working. Especially not when you got the, I mean, we, we discussed, I, I brought up Josh Allen's impending deal. Uh, once upon a time, I thought a mega deal for Josh Allen was going to look like $35 million a year. Mm. That thing is pushing 40. Uh, so I, I don't know if you want, you know, with, with so much going to the quarterback, which nobody's going to argue against. I don't think, like Nate said, you're not going to give your outside backer back or linebacker, your, your, your coverage backer. You're not going to give him 14 a year. You might not even give him 13. I, I thought that, you know, the wheelhouse for Matt Milano was like a Shaq Thompson type deal, a, a 12, to 12-5 over five years. I, I think that's that's right around that that's right around the most that I think they they'd be willing to shell out for him. Uh, but uh, it, it's a it's a tough decision, and, and you know there was a lot of interest in, in Kyle Duggar, as I think Matt Fairburn reported last season that the Bills were you know they they visited him more often than any other team. They wanted him badly in the second round, perhaps foreshadowing a Matt Milano departure to to just fill that role with a big Buffalo nickel type of player who can, you know, who can support the run, who can cover tight ends, who can cover running backs. 
and, and, and play that little hybrid position that, that Milano more or less does. So, you know, they, they might be looking forward to a, they might be looking for that in this year's draft. Uh, I, I just don't, I, I don't think that if a team is going to pay out the, you know, what for Matt Milano, like Nick said, it, it's not going to be, it's not going to be the bills. And, and you got to wonder though, you got to wonder because Brandon Bean is very conscientious about how moves are perceived in the locker room. You got to wonder yeah. what is if that's going to go over well or not. Um, you know, I'm just curious. I, I would assume everybody is professional about it, but I wonder what the mood in the locker room is if a guy who did everything right, who you know is homegrown, who put the work in, who was productive, doesn't get rewarded for that. I wonder if, if guys start to kind of if maybe that's a wake up call to some of the younger guys awaiting deals. Maybe that's a wake up call to a, a, an Ed Oliver or a uh, an Ed Oliver or a Cody Ford, you know, coming up or, or some of these guys who, who haven't been extended quite yet. That like, man, you know, I, I got to be on my J.O.B. because even if I'm not, I can do everything right and still not get resigned. So I, I don't know. I'm just curious what the impact is going to be. But I just. Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, I wouldn't necessarily expect Matt Milano to be back next year unless that cap hits that 185 range. He he walks into the locker room with his chest out like this, like Mike Trout, and says, yo, I'm batting 600, over 600. I re-signed Deion Dawkins. I re-signed Tredavious White. I'm sorry, I had to let one of them go. I, I, yeah. I, I don't know what That's to tell you. Goes. That's and I have a big deal for Josh Allen coming. And yeah, right. it, it's going to be tough. And I think maybe in the back of some of these players' minds, they realize that with this pandemic, with this salary cap the way it is, some of their friends aren't going to be on this team next year, and not just on the Bills, across the league. Just like Edmund said, there's going to be some – Chase Edmonds, that is. There's going to be some players signing one-year deals across the league because they know they're not going to get their true value this year. It's going to be next year when that cap goes up. I think the other last important thing too is you gotta keep enough room for to resign Bahorquez. So that you gotta save part of your cap for Bogo. So all right, that's the that. stash, that's the stash talking. I left out a very important <laughs> qualifier though. I wonder what the mood is going to be like if Milano walks and then they offer a guy and sign a guy like JJ Watt. That's that's the key that 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 I think Brandbean is very is hyper aware of it, is not yeah. paying your guys but making a free agent one of the highest paid guys on the team. Like, even if it is, I mean, it's for a guy like J.J. Watt, by all accounts, high character dude, not going to come in here and, and mess right. up the mojo. But uh, it is something that I think players notice. That's interesting to think about because, you know, you think on the surface, J.J. Watt is J.J. Watt and comes in here with, he checks all these boxes, but – it probably does say something to a lot of guys. One of the earlier things that we were talking about was, you know, missing Lorenzo Alexander in the room. And, you know, I, I, I kind of want to stand up a little bit for Addison. Like, you know, I, I was told early on back when, you know, the zoom meetings were starting, I'm sure Marcel, you heard something about this at some point that Addison early on in the, in the situation, especially during that whole Jake Fromm situation, he was very vocal and, and kind of assumed a leadership role early on. I, I, it's hard to tell because we weren't in the locker room this year, but I think in a lot of ways he filled that role. And I think when we heard Sean and Brandon talk about the defensive line and Mario after the season, even though maybe the five sacks from a fan perspective was underwhelming, I do think that there was a, a an element of that. And I and I also think we saw Jerry Hughes step into a role that he really thrived in. I, and, and not just because he was great on the Zoom interviews. And, you know, that's coming from a place where dealing with him the first two years on the beat, he never seemed to want to talk to the media and, and that's fine. Some guys, it's not their thing. Like 
you know, Lorenzo Alexander was kind of a unicorn in that way. He can, he can go and do 40 minutes of interviews in the locker room and after a full long practice and be fine. But I thought Mario Edison and kind of stepped in the role. What did you think of that? And, and that's, I think why I think he'll be back. I, I wrote a story today about five moves the bills can make to save money. And it added up to about $30 million. One of those was not cutting Mario Edison, but restructuring his deal, maybe adding 5 million, uh, you know, but giving him a signing bonus. What are your thoughts on all that? It kind of makes sense that that both of them would reach this this level of leadership and comfortability since they are, I mean, they're best friends, man. They're roommates all the way back to their days, their first couple of years in the league in Indianapolis, and they've been planning on this ever since they backed up Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis. I, I mean, like it's a it's not a surprise to see, um, but I think when Brandon Bean came out and said, you know, maybe if we knew that the cap was going to do this this year, there's some moves that maybe we, we wouldn't have made. We wouldn't have been aggressive in some areas. I, I, I think that he had Mario Atkinson's contract, I mean, at the very, very top of his mind. I think he might have mm -hmm. been looking at a picture of Mario Addison. In fact, <laughs> it's not that he's a bad player. It's that, you know, he is he's getting up there in age. Uh, he's at a position where, you know, you kind of thrives and that's a lot of money to him. I think they overpaid a little bit to get Mario Addison here. And, and that's just kind of, even though they're a contender now and, and it's probably not going to happen as often, that's just kind of the curse of Buffalo. Like you're, you're going to have to overpay to get guys to, to come play in Buffalo. Like it is guys, it is what it is. And I don't want any anger in my mentions. I promise you it will be shut down and stamped out tonight. Like <laughs> it is what it, it is, what it is here. But uh, no, I like the idea of restructuring, uh, of restructuring Mario Addison because it keeps some of that, chemistry that we started to see from the defensive line late in the season. Uh, I think cutting him is one of the most cost-friendly moves that Buffalo can make this year alongside cutting John Brown. I think come those two moves alone save you 16 to $18 million. So uh, it, it's going to be a tough decision there. But uh, I think if, if it comes down to, to Addison or, or Jerry Hughes, Addison is a one and done in Buffalo. And I don't think it's a particularly hard decision. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And if you're gonna, if you do end up with Watt, I don't know how you justify even restructuring Addison at that point because you still need to bring along AJ Epineza. You still want to have some youth on that line because you know, as good as Jerry Hughes can be, as good as JJ Watt could be in this one to two year window, you need those that next crop of guys to be ready to take over. And, and if you have Addison and you had Watt and you have Hughes, it sounds good. But it is, it's going to stunt that development of a guy like Epineza. Or if you still like Daryl Johnson enough, a guy that was a key special teams contributor that flashed a little bit here and there on the defensive end position. Uh, they've had Mike Love on the practice squad the last few years. I'm not saying that he's a long-term answer there. But if you want to bring some of these young guys along, you you can't have uh, be so top-heavy and have so many guys that are over the age of 30. I think the Super Bowl was a really big eye-opener for Brandon Bean. And I really like Eric Fisher. I think he's a really top-level offensive lineman. But there was four other guys on that offensive line that the Bills faced and had nowhere near the level of pressure that the Buccaneers were able to apply to that Kansas City offense in the Super Bowl. And I think for me, a big part of what I think the identity of that defensive line is – is flawed. And I think it's the identity of what Addison, how Addison fits into that defensive line and the style of play. They need, uh, like, and I was talking about this earlier, they need a little bit of a different culture on that defensive line, meaning 
no one was worried about going up against the Bills defensive line like from a four quarter this team is just physical they're going to come at me for four quarters and they rotate a lot so they got guys that have fresh legs and they just weren't the type of physical in the trenches we're going to beat you man on man that I think you know star helps but he doesn't solve the the overarching physicality and ability to wear on an offensive line that that defense desperately needs. And I think I think Ed Oliver has that DNA in him. Um, he can't be the only one though, and especially at his size, he needs size and that same DNA that Ed Oliver has. And I don't think that's Mario Addison at 33 years old at a 10 million dollar cap hit. I wonder. I don't know about you guys. I think if you look, the same contract was shelled out to Shaq Lawson. I mean, almost, you know, number for numbers, three for 30. Um, and I wonder, you know, do they regret that decision, letting, you know, Shaq Lawson go? And get, I think both of them were overpaid. And I think both of them had probably similar success. You could probably argue Shaq was a little bit better. And you would probably think you'd be better against the run if you had Shaq. But I don't know. Like, I think he was overpaid. I think Shaq was overpaid. So it's tough because that those types of players, though, Addison and Shaq Lawson represent the overpay type of player that is not going to get overpaid this offseason. So it's just going to be really interesting. There's a lot of players like Shaq Lawson, like Mario Addison, that maybe have the DNA that I'm talking about along this defensive line at 28, 27 years old that maybe can change the culture of how they want to win on that defensive line. I know that's kind of sounds like weird, right? The culture of the defensive line. But I just think like they need to be more physical and more feared. And I just think offensive lines teed up on the Bills defensive line all season. They talk so much in the room or in the virtual room about connecting with Eric Washington. And I mean, you hear Jerry Hughes talk about him and there was real like respect there. I felt like there was from the outside looking in, it looked like a really good relationship but hearing Brandon Bean talk after the season, like there was a real kind of grace period to them figuring each other out. And that, that was a big piece of it. I think that, you know, I think expectations had to be set with no preseason with a very truncated off season. Like, you know, Epinesa looked like a completely different player the second half of the season. So to his point, I think there's possibility for um, growth from everybody involved in that operation, especially Eric Washington with a whole full off season with his guys, you know, I watched a lot of JJ Watt the last couple of days just to kind of get a taste of what he, you know, was like last year. And, you know, there was a lot of games. I know late in the season, they weren't very good, but he, a lot of his pass rush attempts looked a lot like some of what we saw in the bills defensive line, you know, double teams, not being able to break through them. I know there's a lot of thought about maybe him moving inside. I, I question that a little bit. I don't know that he has the speed. I know he's got power. And I know he's huge and all that kind of stuff, but I don't necessarily think that that's necessarily a great fit either. Uh, I think the worst case scenario is you go out and you give $12 million to JJ Watt and he, and it's to your point, Nate, kind of a continuation of what we've seen already. I know that he brings a different mentality and a leadership. And I think AJ Epinesa, he'd be great for him, but I I do wonder in the back of my head, like there's a, there's a world that we can live in where they bring in JJ Watt. And it doesn't really matter. It doesn't change anything unless guys that are already there Facts. take that next step. It's totally, I mean, it's spot on, right? Like in a world for JJ Watt to really maximize the value of having him on the roster, he needs to be able to free up 
at Oliver. He needs to be able to free up Jerry Hughes to not just have one of the highest pass rush success rate, but also get that sack number up, right? Like, hey, pass rush rate is great. And we want to see him and that win rate continue to be at the right at the top of the league with the Khalil Max. But, you know, that this team needs to get more sustained pressure on the quarterback. And towards the end of the season, it was a glaring issue. And I think a lot of what we're talking about, the issues in the run game, the issues getting to the quarterback, they didn't, sack numbers were fine. Pressure rates were fine. And really pass rush win rates were fine for their top guys. But when you needed it and in a game in January, the physicality thing comes back to play. I do think J.J. Watt brings a level of physicality, and maybe you even get a better J.J. Watt if you reduce his 1,000 snaps to 750, right? Maybe you get more, less volume, more quality play from J.J. Watt. But again, that's a lot of banking, and and I think you, you're, you're, you're banking on a 32-year-old playing better football at 33. That's a hey, you're, you're taking risk there. I, I, that Buffalo Creek ain't giving you great odds. Um, so you got to <laughs> think about that from a – where you are right now, and listen, I love J.J. Watt. I'd love to see him here. But if that the the argument I made earlier, Ryan Kerrigan, uh, and, you, and you bring in Kerrigan, um, Clowney, and you can get a starting corner too out of that for thirteen million. Man, you're gonna have a hard time selling me that you're not getting more value this year with ha- spreading that over three players that you think might have better upside and are younger. No, I, I agree. I, you know, I'll chime in here. The only thing that I'll say about that is when AJ Epinesa was coming out last year, he said he modeled his game after JJ Watt. So would that help his development? I don't know. I, I would like to think having a guy that you're saying, this is who I model my game after would help with his development. Again, that could help the bills next year. It could help in them the down the road yeah. in the long run too. Uh, Watt, you mentioned it was double team more than just about any edge rusher last year. And he still had a high pass rush win rate. You would like to think that with him on one side and Hughes on the other, uh, that the Bills could be more effective. They could make those plays when it mattered most. But I also agree with you on the younger players. I mentioned Carl Lawson. I, uh, he had five and a half sacks last year, but 30-some quarterback, I think 32, 31 quarterback hits. Uh, Romeo Aquara, I mentioned 10 sacks in Detroit. So there are younger guys in that 25, 26-year-old window that are going to make less money realistically then J.J. Watt, on average, that could come in and actually be a, a higher-impact player, not only in year one, but if you sign these younger players, you want them here three, four years on those deals, and they could be helping the Bills sustain that Super Bowl window, which, as Marcel said, gets small really quickly. Yo, we've probably got through like 60% of my outline, but we got to transition a little bit here before we get out of here. The big question I think everybody wants to know, I haven't seen it in the comments yet, but I haven't seen them all. I'm sure somebody asked, when's the foodie pod coming? And do we have a name yet? Uh, Nate and Marcel's something. What, what do you got cooked? There you go. <laughs> I don't know. Man. We, we kicked around a couple names. You know, it's uh, it's been in development. We are, we've got a, I think we have a pretty decent outline for what we want to do with the show. Like it's, it's, it is very, real the interest the development in it is is very very real i think the next step is finding a platform and uh and, and going for it at that point uh but uh i respect uh, we've got plenty to talk about yeah yeah like here's I, I where i'll offer my services is 
if you need somebody to film this for some type of you know visual digital i can tap back into my ufc days i got some 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 on the road production i got some audio equipment as long as you feed me as Fair. part of these adventures i will volunteer to produce and to kind of bring the magic to the to, to the public from a video perspective. Here's the thing. We need to figure out a way though. See, and, and Marcel and I, we we do good because you know, when Marcel comes over here, we're taking pictures of these like unreal meals, and there's this this like you know, false narrative that Marcel and I have anything to do with it. It's really it's all my girlfriend. She makes these amazing <laughs> meals, and then Marcel and I take pictures and we're like, yo, check out what we're eating. We did look at this masterpiece. People are like, You made this? And we're like, I was there when it was being made. Yes, yes, I was. Um, so, so yeah, you know, from a just a home cooking perspective, you know, Marcel and I, we definitely eat good. But from a, you know, a recommendation standpoint, um, listen, I mean, th those tacos, uh, I I've never had better tacos. And so if Marcel has given me the best tacos, I've introduced Marcel to the best pizza and the best wings. Um, so like, you know, I think we're on an even level there. The next question speaking is like, of speaking of fire, hot food takes, that is incorrect. Macy's is not the best pizza and wings in Buffalo. Um, I'm sorry to bring that kind of consternation to the live podcast, but that is incorrect on both fronts. They have, I think the best flavor. I, I the hot honey mustard right. is my favorite flavor in Buffalo. Best wing. And they got the best specialty like, wing, best specialty that, wing. That's not up for debate. I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. It's not I a point. Accept that. I'll accept again, that. Again, there. Thank you for that clarification, of, by the way. Yeah, there are tears that went. I've, I've learned this. You know, I've been here. Tears. I've been here long enough. We're, we're 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 flirting with two years now. The best original wing, the best original wing, is nine eleven Tavern, and and correct. rest resting peace correct. to to the original owner. I I you know, but we we happened to go there before before he passed away, and I mean everything from the the presentation to the crispness to the flip. I mean. Yeah. A one. It was. It's a science. It was very clearly there was an algorithm involved to what he was doing. <laughs> like hands, it is hands down. But, I, listen um, though, Barbell's right up there too. I like. I have never been to Barbell and wing. had a different wing. It's always the same, like quality. Like it's always cooked the same to the same amount, to the same temperature. Like the all the sauces, it's, they're consistently the same every time. So like they've got it down to a science. But yeah, I mean Macy's specialty wing, and I I think Macy's pizza sauce is that's where like that's where I just they're they're okay. top notch. My favorite pizza has become Matina's in um, Williamsville, I believe. Um, the classic for me. Did you ever have growing up Milano's? It was in uh, it was in like um, Tonawanda, but oh, it's no, buddy, not, I'm went out of I don't, I don't make my way up to oh that. That's fine. Dude, you play football? You play football? You you had a bunch of trips over here? Come on. Yeah, and, and a yellow school bus through and then back out <laughs> as soon as I was done getting thrust on some field. So trust me, I don't remember anything from that. Like, dude, I, I live in the city now. Like, you're speaking gibberish to me, and you're talking about 20 minutes away from where I live. I couldn't tell you. What That's did you say fair. the name of this place was? You know Southeast. what? You know what? Yeah, right. Nate. South. Marcel's lived here for less than three years, and he's experienced more North Town's cuisine than you. That is actually embarrassing in, I in every way. He hasn't even dipped his toes into good South Town's cuisine outside of like some spots in Orchard Park, right? Like that's it. Uh, let's yeah. see, Juicy Juicy Burger was is a. Uh, yeah, I mean, but have you had mammal? No, the thing for me is like I mean I live in Island Town. That is a trek for a burger yes. when I have ABV right there. 
Like it is a it is a journey out to All right, so <laughs> I've got you on a Mammoser's trip because that is the class of Hamburg wings and they're unique. Like they're the, they're their own style of wings. Have either of you had Mammoser's? Because you guys are both looking at me like you've never heard of that word that I'm saying. I've heard of it. I, I actually went there, but I didn't eat their wings. As embarrassing as that might be to some. Then right, what would you go there for? Did you I don't pastor, remember. Did you use their bathroom? I, I saw, <laughs> I, I looked at the Yelp review and I always look at the pictures of the wings before I eat them or order them. And for some reason, I remember thinking, nah, and I didn't get them. So maybe that was, that was my bad. That was my bad. Uh, yeah, it's hey. bad, buddy. It's bad, buddy. Um, find him on Twitter. Demand so, yeah, an find, apology. Seriously, Disgusting. demand an apology. Um, I, I, I will say that that's the next spot, and I will. I'll, I think we should all go uh, the next time that you know there there can be a COVID friendly uh, uh, situation. We should go to Mammosers, and we should consider doing a live show so that we can make sure people know. Like, I, I want to see. I want to see Perino eat it for the first time. I want to see what that. Oh, you yeah. know what he missed out on that long ago. Wow, that's the, are you seeing that's, this right now? That's, that's beautiful. Holy, I mean, are you seeing this right now? Like, like the, I'm like look, struggling just looking was, at this because it's so beautiful. I was a, I was very offended by the events of the past couple of days where people are telling me In and Out is not good. Yeah, that's but the the level of offense I felt when people told me that Los Mayas was not as good of a taco as like Lloyd. <laughs> Like I, I almost jumped through the screen. Like I almost reached through the internet and start, started snatching souls. Like this is, I'm from, like I'm not just from California, man. I lived in California for 18 years. I lived in Arizona for six years. I lived in Texas wow. for a year. Like I am from the land of the taco in the United States, and this is the most authentic taco I have had since I left the Southwest. It would go toe to, to toe with a lot of places back west. So you know it is holding Buffalo down, but I do need to I do need to check out Mexico City because I got that that heart platter really is really still calling me. Look at I'll those tacos. Chorizo is really speaking to me, but I mean I'm a pastor guy through and through, through and through. Pastor is hit or miss for me actually though oh, because you can have bad pastor and then it like you're like oh it's God. it's pretty much like pizza for me man as long as it's put in a pit and it's hot and and it's not cold like I'm good with it. But I'll okay. still eat cold. Norma, you I'll made cold. that pastor. You did make that up. I, I did. I I did do some things. I, that wasn't just a bystander for that pastor. I did. I did, was involved. As Atlanta you know, made as like homemade an, tortillas. His his yeah. his girlfriend at BFLO Foodie made homemade tortillas. I mean, like from the scratchiest of scratch. Like it, it was mm-hmm. so impressive, man. Like if anything we do, like she's really got to be involved because she is yeah. more plugged in to food than I think either of us are. And she is more respected in the food industry in Buffalo. Way more, either way more respected. Yeah, way more oh. respected. Listen, shout that's not, Buffalo that's TV. not that great shout out. That's not saying a lot though, when it comes to Nate Gary, because obviously if you talk to some of the haters out there, yeah, listen, whatever. Leave, Nate, leave Nate alone. And here's another thing. If you're going to like, like Marcel mentioned this earlier, if you're going to come into the mentions, you know, incorrect, be ready to deal with, the fire of a thousand suns from both of these guys, because listen, I've, I've taken a very hands-off approach to social media in the last three to four months. I get traditionally speaking, I get really fired up, you know, going back to my UFC days. Like I kind of, I kind of mix it up in the comments a little bit and I've learned that that's not healthy. I'm almost 40. Okay. I'm almost a man. You don't I'm look almost great. 40. You don't look a day over 30. Ticker. 
Thank you, my friend. And so, but these two, eh, you might want to, you might want to check yourself. Oh, no. get in there. Extremely 28 years old and full of energy for the class. Like, <laughs> so, so like, but the beautiful thing is like, that's the thing. Like I'm not, I, I usually don't see things. Like I, I don't get notifications from anybody, but you know, a handful of, you know, a handful of reporters. So like, I'm, when you reply, like, disreport or you know when you reply incorrectly like i don't see it initially i have to go search for it and if i'm searching for it it means i'm in the mood so like that's it's just not working out it's not i think out well for the you. thing the slander that comes at me is all stemming from one incident where i was just proving to people that i could eat a dry pumpernickel bagel in two minutes and it, it now people think i have this like you know garbage palate because I love pumpernickel bagels and I'll eat them dry, no problem, because they're delicious. And I don't Here care I was, how old they are. Here I was thinking people didn't like you for the airplane baby tweet, which I still well, think is an all-time Twitter moment. <laughs> yeah, you know, I got bullied into deleting that tweet, you know? That, that's uh, I, we, We'd be all better for it if it was still up, but I had literal, like, I had, like, Andy Richter, like, tweeting at me, like, that I was a terrible person. And I'm like, all right, once, and once my hero, Andy Richter, uh, gets into my mentions uh, and like people like, from like CNN, like people were really mad. Dude, people the get emotional. Thing is, about like, their you're not though. necessarily, you weren't necessarily wrong. It's just one of those things that like you can't, you can't say, say it out loud. Yeah. Like we've all sat in it. We've all sat in, in an airplane and said, wow, that kid is crying. Fewer of us have sat next to the baby like the I'm problem was it was a connecting flight and i had already had a couple of the southwest you know free bebs so <laughs> <laughs> i was listen i was upset i was in my feels about that baby i'm sure ryan can attest to this i mean i'm a father of two and i love my children they can do no wrong in my eyes there are times though when they start crying and i'm just like i could be somewhere else right now and not be <laughs> listening to this it could happen yeah, no uh, doubt. No doubt. Ryan doesn't have anything to add to that, I guess. <laughs> no, because I'm disagreeing he never completely. Wants, he never wants his kids. It's fine if they start crying because, you know, he is he is much more patient than I am by nature. He All is right. a teacher. He deals yes. with children. That's very true. Like me and That's Marcel, we are children. So it's tough for us, you know? It's <laughs> only room for one of us on this here. Yeah, right. <laughs> this was awesome, guys. Uh, super fun time. Just... Kind of shooting the stuff here. Um, we got into a lot of bills. I hope if you're joining us late, thank you. Um, we're gonna do a couple of these over the course of the offseason, just a couple sitting around, uh, you know, friends being friends, talking some bills, talking some other things. We have a ton of people in this local media industry that are super talented and they're so awesome with their time. Uh, Marcel, you can find him most of the time on ESPN.com writing really engaging Buffalo Bill stories, NFL stories, most of the time. If you're looking for him these days, you're going to probably have to log on to Twitch and he's probably shooting somebody <laughs> with a sniper rifle. Tell tell people where they can find you if they want to watch you uh, getting after it. I would say, like, I've been flirting with the idea of starting a Twitch stream. Um, but uh, I, I play with, uh, you know, I, I play with some people who have them. I'll, I'll, I'll let them plug their own. I'll let them plug their own shows. But uh, I, I will always retweet it when I'm when I'm streaming. Uh, you know, love me some COD. Uh, love me some, uh, love me some FIFA. Just, just re-downloaded FIFA mm. and reawaken that beast. So if you think you're nice on the sticks, like come at me, and uh, <laughs> if we can, we can, we can get it popping from there. But uh, other than that, yeah, clearly a lot of time on, on my hands until draft season really ramps up, and 
it's, it's about to, it's about that time. So, uh, you know, without telling on myself how many video, how much video games I actually play, but, uh, you know, I, I do gaming is a big part of my life. I'll say and that. Do you have any, Nate, do you have a lot of blisters? Like, cause I don't think I ever see you without hey, a golf club in your hand. How about or, that? How about that right behind me? That's what's right that? Me. Is that your it's bag? My, yeah. It's my bag right there. Yeah. It's <laughs> amazing. Oof. The dedication this. Hustle, I'm practicing in my in my living room when we get off this. Uh... That's what I want to ask you. you. Like for like a lot of dudes growing up and and ladies, the dream would be to like have like a a basketball court in their basement or something. For you, would it be like a virtual driving range? So trust me when I tell you that I researched and even <laughs> bought material. So I got a little loft upstairs, the stairwell that's behind me. Um, I mean, we're talking a matter of we were three quarters of an inch away from pulling the trigger on some some significant uh, indoor range uh, capabilities upstairs during the during the start of COVID lockdown. So, um, yeah, that's that's my when I buy a home, there will be a room with a with a projector and a, a, a an area to hit golf balls. It's Shout it just as it is. <laughs> Shout out to Elliot in the comments. What's up, my man? He's here every week, always active in the comments section. He was driving. He was he was trying to comment during the red lights. I don't suggest that. <laughs> um, matter of fact, speaking of vehicles, hell of a week. Hell of a week for yours truly, okay? Somebody stole my van out of my driveway, all right? Wow. Yeah, my minivan. My 2015 town and country. Little did you know that it was a Target. It, just, it, might, as well, might, as well, it might as well had an X on it. Right. And it was, you know, and without getting into too much of the details, it was, it was pretty awful week. We've, it was eventually, you know, found and was in a hit and run accident totaled. Um, but we actually got our, we got our new car today, a new van. What's up, buddy? So, and additionally, say hi to Marcelli. Hi. And hey, Lucas. How you doing, bud? Hi. Lucas. Say hi. Look at that. Did you put your pajamas on by yourself? My man. <laughs> he was supposed to be sleeping at, nine o'clock i left him upstairs and said you can watch one episode of your show and then you're to go to bed now he's like show. three deep he's like three of those how episodes deep now how many shows did you watch? how many episodes Don't two know. how many episodes <laughs> two. all right anyway we got a new van today honda odyssey honda odyssey it is awesome and i talked my wife into going full tech package touring edition so i can so i can pick up all the guys now. i can pick up all the guys we got the, the Blu-ray player in it, and we can go on our little foodie adventures. I'll film it. Just just feed me. And Yo, that hey, would be that'd be extremely rich. Like, Honestly, just, we could film from inside the van. A bunch of extremely grown men popping out of a minivan like seven deep. Yeah, Funny. yeah, yeah. I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah, I am. Sign me up. Yep. Sign me up. Ryan, we'll give you. Uh, we'll talk to Joel. We'll get you a little uh, we, day pass to come out to Buffalo and, and try some food. All right, we're gonna get out of here, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, find him on ESPN. Marcel Louis Jacques, WGR five fifty. Uh, Nate Geary, my man Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Primo. Have a great night, and we will see you next week. Actually, we have a really cool show next week. I'll plug that because it's already booked. Mike Janetti from Spot Track will be on. We'll dive deep 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 into the salary cap and hopefully we have a clear idea of where things stand at that point and then greg thompson uh our local well kind of local he lives in cleveland uh salary cap expert from cover one he'll be on as well uh we'll we'll dive into that too and we might have another show this week 
Uh, stay tuned for that. Thank you so much. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and we'll see you next week. Take care, everyone.